Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome everyone to Rock M Nation Podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. We are on season five, episode a million, um, at least a million this past week, it feels like, a uh, week or two. Uh, actually, it is episode 28. Uh, I'm your host, Sam Snelling, here to talk Mizzou basketball. With me, as always, is Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? Uh, I'm fine. Uh, the last two weeks, though, have made have made me feel I would like to go in the portal and like go find maybe another program. Quiz cuts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just go in the portal and and not you know be updating a spreadsheet of contact tracker. I just want to skip ahead to when real basketball is being played. Um, contrary to like everyone else, I really don't enjoy the hot stove season. I would just rather watch basketball, but. Um, alas, we don't get to do that. We have to, we have to monitor, we have to mine, we have to see which guy is trying to up transfer potentially, or which guys are trying to be moved out. It's, it's, it's moving season, uh, right now for coaches, players, everyone. It's, 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 uh, that time of year. So, you know, I have my SEC transfer tracker, uh, up and running. Uh, I don't have all the signees uh input it in yet mainly because like i was kind of waiting to see like once the head coaches were sort of fixed and then you had their assistant coaches in and then you'd see like who's asking out of their letter of intent and who's staying um but i am i am tracking transfers out and uh Ole Miss is uh is leading the pack for 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 turnover here. Missouri has has five transferring out. Ole Miss also has five, uh, but Ole Miss has four guys graduating. Yeah, that that this is the one thing that I think I said to when we had like level on a couple weeks ago. The transfer giveth, transfer will giveth, and it taketh away too. I think you know Kermit put together a team that, in terms of raw talent, was solid. But I think we even said in the preseason and throughout the year, it was just really hard to see what Ole Miss was. And then they had the injury issues, and they just slogged to the end there. Like It just felt like an entire year where it was a team that didn't have an identity, then it had injury problems, and like that created all sorts of issues stylistically for them. You know, th- This seems like the natural result of a team that 
know, didn't have a core, didn't have a, a sense of, you know, what it wanted to be or what it was trying to do. And I almost feel well, they, like they are keeping their talented young core with, you know, like if you're right. So, you know, the guys who have transferred out have been like Austin Crowley announced today. Luis Rodriguez announced today. Sammy Hunter, Grant Slatten, Eric Vander Heijen. Right, right, um, right. But I mean, I, I think that that's sort of my point is like those were the, you know, we were talking in the preseason, like a guy like Austin Crowley. Is he going to take a step forward? Is Luis Rodriguez, you know, going to be the guy that we saw, you know, displace KJ Buffin and send Buffin into the portal last year? Like, their spots, like four through nine, just did not work. And so they're going to try it again. But yeah. Uh, and that's without a coaching change there. And it feels like it's a big year for Kermit. So he's going to try and do it again. <laughs> I would, I would say so. Um, Missouri uh, lost another name to the transfer portal that like we are uh it's a, the end of an era uh, we're recording this monday march 28th earlier today uh the news transcended down let us all know that a sophomore i guess technically probably still a a, a freshman um freshman seven foot three post jordan wilmore into the portal he's gone yeah, um, it's 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 truly the end of an era. Um, now I, I my hopefully my Twitter feed will be filled with at least three to four less angry uh, tweets a week about somebody complaining about Jordan Wilmore's presence on this roster. <laughs> um, why people complained to me so ardently about it when the man barely played uh, became a mystery he to me. Contributed as many points. I actually saw uh, Gabe tweet this out. Somebody on on his forums had pointed out. Jordan Wilmore had scored as many points uh, in a Missouri uniform as Michael Porter Jr. That's the fine. Much, as much of an impact as <laughs> Michael Porter Jr. That, that's the encapsulation of Conso Martin's tenure right there. Um, yeah, this is one of those things. I think- and, Jor- and, and Matt, Jordan Wilmore didn't cost Missouri a, a three-year contract for Michael Porter Sr. for $1.1 million. I mean, but he wasn't filling. He, he wasn't <laughs> filling in the stat sheet this year, and may have cost Zo a longer tenure in some way. I mean, this is the hard part because I think you know, I, I in our Slack discussion today, I think you can be really, really honest about what Jordan Wilmore was on this team without venturing into cruelty. Um, I think if we're honest, and you know, we tried to be fair and you know open-minded about this when jordan committed in september of 2019 you know that okay you know he's gonna be behind jeremiah tillman for at least a year you can go out and you can recruit other guys and you can really try and give yourself some time to develop this guy and to really see if it worked and i think the hard part for Jordan was, you know, when Trevor Brazil was hurt early on this year, necessity dictated that that timeline got sped up quite a bit. And I think it just, re, you know, revealed to all of us, you know, that even, you know, with limited playing time and trying to do a lot in practice and trying to do skill work, that no matter what happened here, the raw components just weren't going to be there for him to be a high level or at least a regular contributor for an SEC roster. Um yeah, that's not his fault. You know, a scholarship was offered. You know, Missouri was going to take his commitment. He pledged. They took it. And, you know, I don't blame the kid. 
one bit. If if that's your best offer and you want to, you know, give it a shot to try and you know make a a dent at this level, there I can't say anything negative about that at all. I think the experience of being even like you know like Missouri, um, you know, being at this stage of the game on the lower tier of you know some power conference uh, programs. Uh, your experience as a basketball player at that level is still vastly better than like what it is when you're committing to it. What was one of his other offers is like Jacksonville state. Yeah. Once you get into something along those lines. Yeah. Like, like you're, you're, you're going to have a much better college experience at university of Missouri than you will at Jacksonville state. Um, You know? And, and so like I, I sort of equate, the Jordan Wilmore era, like uh, guys like that, uh, you know, for to me are like some of the guys that, you know, like Kim Anderson recruited, like, you know, fans used to just crush Colin Van Leer and, you know, like Colin had, had some, some decent moments, uh, you know, and I think, I think Hansel got a little bit more out of him than, uh, than, you know, Anderson and, and those guys did, um, you know, but, if you're Colin Van Leer and your like your dream school comes in, you know University of Missouri, you grew up cheering for the Tigers your whole life. Like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna say no to that scholarship because oh, like I don't, I don't think I'm good enough to play there. No, you're gonna accept that scholarship. <laughs> and I think like that's the same thing with with Jordan Wooer. Like, we can't, we have to be able to separate. And you can still critique the kid for his play and 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 um, you know, and and all those things. Uh, but like, if you're going to crush anybody in this situation, it's the staff oh, and the yeah. evaluation of, of, of Wilmore, uh, just as much as it was, you know, the previous staff and their, um, evaluation of, you know, se- several of those guys that are probably in that same yeah. realm. I mean, I think this is probably outside of KJ Santos, this might've been their worst evaluation they had. Um, and I think a lot of it was born out of desperation. We don't have to go into it here, but you know, I think that's a that's actually an interesting question. Like uh, Santos or Wilmore, like what was the worst? Uh, like I I would actually say Wilmore because at least with Santos, like you could kind of see what they were going for. He just he struggled with. Um, he struggled a little bit with like some of the athleticism and uh, you know, I think he struggled to shoot the ball, which is what I think they were kind of counting on him being able to do the staff misevaluating um, a shooter. No, no, they wouldn't <laughs> have done that. What? It's crazy. Um, but yeah, no, that's actually like a pretty interesting, uh, you know, thought process to kind of go through like, what are, you know, what are the worst staff evaluations that like, I don't want to get into a guy like uh, who is the Juco center. Axel Congo, because that was a practice body, right? They, they like they signed that that guy with the idea that he was gonna he was gonna lean on Jeremiah. Yeah, but they signed Jordan Wilmore thinking that they were gonna be able to develop him. They signed KJ Santos thinking that he was gonna fill in that sort of three four hybrid role for him. Right. Those are my top two because like some would say, oh, what about Christian Guest? That was a flyer in September that they took, and that was not one that was expected to like reap rewards immediately so <laughs> and, he, and he actually had a decent college career i i, I think he wrapped up his college yeah career, yeah he? he i think he wrapped it up at prairie view a&m so and he went to juco and like did the work there and like 
got some place in Division One. Was at Samford, I think. Yeah, he was at Samford. Went in the portal, then went to Prairie View. So, to me, the issue here was was how they got to Jordan, and you know they they never really get in the mix for Ryan Kalkbrenner. They offer him, he comes down for an unofficial, but Kalkbrenner, you know, was to his credit, recognized that a school like Stanford or Creighton where he plays now were the first ones to really buy into him. They were the first ones to offer him. They were the first ones to recognize, you know, that he kind of put everything together and, you know, Illinois came in, Missouri came in, Salute came in, you know, but again, credit to Kalkbrenner for, you know, recognizing what he wanted too. He wanted to play in an up-tempo system. He wanted to play the way Creighton wants to, and Creighton was there and he committed so Missouri was just late there. I, you know, they had John Hughley in that class that they offered, but it was pretty clear that Hughley didn't want to go far from home. And Jeff Capel and Pitt came in, and that was one where Missouri again seemed to linger a bit too long, and you know, kept trying to get him down and kept trying to get him down, and he never came down for a visit, which probably should have been a clue that they weren't really deep in the cut for that. And then, you know, Davion Bradford, you know, a guy, a kid who really bounced around for a couple of years, you know, from CBC out to, you know, some prep schools out west and then came back to Melville and played, you know, with some friends that he'd grown up with. But again, K-State was the first one through the door there. Chris Lowry did a good job, you know, getting a rapport established there. Missouri was probably six to eight weeks behind. And, you know, they were still trying to make up ground, you know, a couple of weeks before his official visit. And... They get him on campus, and there was, you know, a push to get a commitment there, and it didn't happen. You know, I think, from what I recall, you know, Davion wanted more time to consider what he was going to do. And, you know, shortly thereafter, Missouri, you know, took Jordan Wilmore. You know, they got him on campus, <laughs> right. and they and they got a – and, you know, Jordan was going to give him a yes. And so it just felt like that was a commitment that, you know, was sort of the natural byproduct of a staff that – was late for a lot of bigs in that class. That was when, you know, fans were dreaming of, you know, getting two of Caleb Love, Cam Fletcher, and Josh Christopher, and just felt like they were really late on bigs in that class. And, mm -hmm. you know, I I never, to me, you know, Jordan Wilmore was going to say yes. It was his best offer by far. That was on the staff for, I think, you know, not understanding. They could have waited at mid-year to see if a mid-year transfer came open. They could have waited until the spring to go into the portal. They could have waited to see what Wilmore was going to do that year. I think they just wanted to be done and have the slot filled. And, you know, they took a commitment there. And it just was a failure of process. And, you know, I, I'm i not going to say at all that Jordan didn't work hard. You, know, you could clearly tell he did what he could to reshape his body. You could clearly tell he played hard this year. He just didn't have he looked like a completely different dude just like i mean the amount of weight he had he had shed from his freshman to yeah. sophomore year i mean that alone tells you that the work ethic was there but just the physical toolkit at this level wasn't and you know again i think that you know the kj santos evaluation you know i think i would have looked at the film and looked at the data and said i'm skeptical that this is even going to be a guy that's going to give you 10 minutes but yeah they thought that was the case there and you know maybe it would have hit if that's what the expectation was for a 10 minute spot shooter to come off the bench maybe that didn't work out at all um but the Wilmore one was to me just a failure of process failure of evaluation and you know 
the kid's going to move on and hopefully he finds a spot where he can, you know, get minutes, you know, and, and get an experience seeing the floor and, you know, take whatever lessons he wants out of his high major experience and, and apply them and, and bring in sort of that, you know, worldview and that experience to his, his next stop. And, and I hope he does really well. You know, I, I think, like I said, there have been times where I felt like fans have, you know, turned their frustration on the staff into cruelty towards him. And that's, that's just unnecessary, but you know, it, it he's going to get a reset and Missouri gets an open scholarship. So we'll see what they do with it. So Wilmore uh, joins, um, Javon Pickett, who is is taking his COVID year, grad transferring, um, unlikely to return. I think we would we would yeah. say at this point, um, along with uh, Trevor Brazil, also unlikely to return. Uh, Anton Brookshire, who I think is at this point probably trending, um, maybe a little bit away of, yeah. uh, from Missouri, uh, and Sean Durer Gordon. So that's five. Five guys uh, from last year's roster into the portal. Uh, the Tigers have turned a couple of those scholarships into uh, into new players. Um, you want st- to start with, uh, with with transfer or the JUCO? Uh, I'll go transfer since I didn't see as much of. I'll go JUCO since I didn't see as much of uh, Golston as as you did, and you handled that one. Um, yeah, uh, that was a fine way for Dennis to to start um his tenure here getting Mohamed Diara on Friday um we had heard um, throughout the week that there were some juco guys that they were really honing in on which shouldn't surprise anyone given you know how frequently Dennis has turned uh Dennis Gates has turned to that sort of market in the past and lo and behold um I had heard from a couple people like hey keep an eye on this Diara kid and next day um he he popped <laughs> Yeah, it was fast. It was fast. Um, had been recruited at Cleveland State there. Um, and you know, to me, the biggest thing about it is people are gonna like, I think, blanch at hearing perimeter oriented five. And I get it. Like a guy who handles a little bit, a guy who kind of wants to play away from the rim. To me, what I look at is less about it, what he, how he prefers to play, and what his toolkit is. You watch that kid on tape. He's got insane fluidity, great mobility. Agility is really, really good. Um, you know, it's weird. I like to watch how guys run the floor. He's really got a good stride, moves consistently there. You know, I think you're going to be able to have this guy play the way you want a modern five to play. And that's in space. That's comfort, you know, switching. It's comfort rolling. It's comfort, you know, playing with the ball in his hand a little bit, you know, and handoffs and stuff. You know, he can do more than that, but. I think you just want a guy who's got that kind of comfort level. Now he's got to put on weight. Um, he's got to get a little bit sturdier. I think that's going to be the biggest thing for him. And that's what, you know, the scout I spoke to on Friday wanted to emphasize this first year is just almost going to be about getting used to the physicality of what he's going to see in the sec, getting his body in a place where he's comfortable with it, playing with that extra weight on a little bit and that extra strength. But you, you put on the tape, and, and a lot of the raw tools are there to have a really, really intriguing five-man, uh, you know, in a lot of different ways for uh, for Gates and what he's tried to do at since in, at Cleveland State and what he might try and do here. Yeah, I think uh, you could probably equate it a little bit to, you know, how it, it sort of took, like, Trevor Brazil to kind of get going. Like, once once Trevin hit the floor, like, you kind of saw, like, oh, wow, like, this guy, this guy's kind of got, uh, some special tools here that 
we haven't really seen at Missouri in a while. And it's, it's nice to kind of see that level of athleticism and fluidity and ability to, you know, block shots and, and, you know, and rebound, um, you know, but he had to learn how to, uh, you know, how to play with, uh, the, you know, physicality of the, the SEC and, and guys that are much older. And, and I think you're probably going to see a lot of that with DR. And I, I think as the season goes on, he starts to figure that stuff out. Um, you know, after a full off season of, you know, a good weight program and, and, you know, getting, uh, you know, the, the, the level of a, a high major college weight program, uh, being applied to your body, you know, is, is much different even than at the, the junior college level or, um, you know, prep school, high school, stuff like that. Uh, and so I think you'll probably see him, um, you know, hopefully, by the end of, of next year, kind of starting to stand out a little bit more. And I think that's one of the things that we sort of saw with, with Trevin is, you know, the tools flashed. Uh, and I think you'll see, like, whenever, you know, Diara is on the floor, you're going to see a, a, a prospect that's really impressive. Uh, but as he starts kind of put, puts all those things together, I think you can see a guy that, um, you know, maybe doesn't have quite as high of a ceiling as Trevin because I'm, I'm, very much buying stock on Trevin Brazil as a as a pro prospect, and uh, not saying Dr. isn't. I mean, I think he's the number one uh, recruit in all junior college, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, but maybe the timeline is a little bit longer on on him than you know, like the ceiling on Trevin just seems to be kind of coming off like right at the end of the year there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm 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 excited. Uh, you know, for all the. Th- for all like the, the you know the the words and um, intentions maybe that the previous staff had, uh, they were never able to kind of find a guy like this. Um, yeah, this is the five man they were they they should have been trying to find the whole time. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 nice to see. Uh, it's nice to see Mizzou had some guys that really have high ceilings. Um, they also added uh, transfer fifth year senior, um, sixth year senior, who knows at this point, everybody's been in college so damn long now. Uh, DeAndre Golston, uh, who is a Gary, Indiana native. The region. Um, and, uh, and Golston was at Milwaukee, was Mo, uh, Wisconsin, Milwaukee's leading scorer for the last two years after being at junior college. Before that, he started at Kent state, um, went to Juco, uh, and then and then transferred to uh, Milwaukee, led them in scoring for two years, including uh, last year under Patrick Baldwin Sr. Uh, with uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr., who dealt with some some injury things. I think they were kind of trying to put it, put together a little run to save Senior's job, and and didn't didn't come off. It didn't come off. You know, Junior got hurt and wasn't quite as uh, as effective as a lot of people thought he might be. Wasn't as dominant as it, a lot of people thought he he might be. And uh, but Golston was still uh, was still pretty good. Um, his, his excuse me, his efficiency dipped uh, from his his junior season. Senior year was a little bit less efficient. Um, his his three point shooting seemed to drop about five percent. But you know, as a junior, it was seventeen points per game, and um, you know, in thirty seven plus percent from three point range. I think that's. That's at least showing you that that you know the tools are there for a guy that you know is a sturdy body at like six five can probably defend pretty well in the perimeter, 
Uh, if he can knock down open shots, I think you've got somebody who can be a solid contributor next year. Yeah, and the one thing I would also say is I think we have to really look at how Gates uses his rotation. He probably went legitimately nine deep at, at Cleveland State, and some nights would get to 10 or 11 deep. And, you know, if you watch, you know, the Vikings play, they're not subbing in one, two dudes at a time. They're usually platooning three, four, five guys in. So it's almost like a hockey line change there, which doesn't surprise us given, you know, where Dennis came from. Um, so you're going to need bodies. And, you know, I've talked to a couple of Horizon coaches who have said, you know, Dennis only had three guys that you might, like, say, at least at the Horizon level were dudes. Then he had six, seven guys who were just guys, but they played really hard. They understood the system and what was being asked of them, and they executed it. And I think the hard part for some fans is, is everyone's expecting like this roster turnover, you know, to, I think it's always people want to see it net like instant impact guys. And not every guy that gets added here in this offseason is going to be an instant impact guy. Um, you know, maybe, you know, the one thing I would point out is Golston's efficiency was never anywhere close to what Amari Davis was. And Amari Davis was a better scorer in the Horizon League, had a more natural scoring package. Golston was not nearly as good against Kim Pom top 100 teams as Amari Davis was. You know, we saw Amari Davis, you know, come and be a 9, 10, 11 point a game guy for Missouri next year. Now, maybe that changes if the system changes, but what I'm driving at is not every guy that Dennis Gates signs here is going to come in and be a top three or four dude. If Golston can come in and give this team what you're talking about, which is, you know, some depth, some experience. Can he fill a role? Can he, you know, execute what Dennis wants him to do defensively? You know, at least at Cleveland State, you know, they were a team that didn't rely on a lot of, you know, ball screens or post-ups or anything like that. They were a team that relied on good cutting, on good spacing. If he can space, if he can cut, if he can shoot, if he can defend, and he can give you some of that depth, that has value for this team. Um, so I think that that's how I sort of look at it is, you know, you know, we've joked that, you know, um, Dewan Gordon was Javon Pickett, who was faster. I think of Golson kind of as that Javon Pickett kind of replacement. Bigger bodied guard, pretty sturdy, experienced, you know, can hopefully be a selective shot maker for you, do that kind of stuff. If that's what he can give this team, then I think that's a fount that's a a win for them. So I don't want to, you know, cast aspersions on on Golston, but I think we have to sort of think in the context of you know, what Gates wants to do and kind of what up transfers tend to do. And Golson to me is a depth piece for, for them. Now, maybe he surprises me and I flip on the film and I see a guy who's got more, but that's just sort of my initial sort of sense is he, he's here for depth and some experience and, and Gates knows what he can offer because he saw him for a couple of years in the horizon. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those things where you sort of have to, so, you know, Diara for me is, is, very clearly an upside play yeah like you know a guy who just has a huge ceiling maybe you take a few bumps early um golston to me is a little bit more of a floor play yeah so you're you're raising the the level of the floor whether or not you're getting um you know exact replacement level um i think what you're kind of probably hoping with a guy like that is that he's able to kind of come in and and defend well and 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 you know be like a team leader work hard, knock down open shots. Um, you know, I, if, if, if he's a guy who's like leading you in usage, 
this team's in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, he was, he was a sub 100 offensive rating guy on a bad Milwaukee team last year. Like if, if that's what you're relying on to, you know, to get you 15 to 18 points per night, then uh, it's going to be a long year. And, and I, I would assume at this point that, that, uh, the new head coach understands that and, and knows that he's sort of getting somebody who can be tough and, and sort of set the tone for the program. And, um, you know, and, and like we said, just kind of raise the floor a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's the other thing too, is, you know, people have, I've seen people say, look at what Iowa state did this year. And I've written this numerous times. There's one or two teams every year that do this, that absolutely flip it. Most teams, you know, see a 30 or 40 spot improvement. And that's about it. Like, so if Missouri can get to 95th or 100th in Kempom next year, that's a good year. And that's still a team that's probably only winning 14 or 15 games. Like, I think <laughs> it's going to save people a lot of frustration if we just sort of work from the baseline assumption that this team's going to be bad. Or not bad, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a roster that's in flux. And you're going to see kind of this mix where they'll go get a Diara, but then they'll get a Dre Golston. And you know the guy that you know we can talk about right now. They're trying to close in, in Sean East, who is a floor play for them. You know, it's trying to f- strike that balance between can we get some guys who are going to help us over the next couple of years versus some guys who can help us at least get to 500 level next year and let us sort of go to work in the 2023 class and, and get the kind of guys in here that we're going to need to really elevate th- this program. So it, it feels like that's sort of a split mission of you know, using enough of these spots to get some long-term plays, but also do enough to shore up, you know, key areas like the wing depth, getting a proven ball handler, maybe finding a a solid enough wing scorer to sort of get this team to a point where it can win 14, 15, 16 games. And this staff can really kind of go to work in 23 when it's going to have four or five more scholarships to play with. Yeah, so I think that's a natural sort of pivot for us to see, um, you know, potentially who can be filling out the rest of this roster. Uh, as of right now, uh, Missouri has three open scholarships. We're assuming that Christian Jones is going to stay on board. We have heard nothing to suggest that that's <laughs> from not- either side that he is looking around. We have not heard uh, that Missouri is looking to keep him. It's just sort of like. He's he's signed a letter of intent. I guess they're probably just gonna get him on campus and see how it goes. Uh, and if he sticks, he sticks. If he sticks, great. You've got like a six five, you know, point guard. The thing who is, he has fits a, a lot of things like physically <laughs> that, that Dennis Cates wants in kind of his guard. So, like if you're Dennis and you got and you can you know keep a kid here and you get him, you know, there's no harm here for him. You know, and he's recruiting right. point guard, other point guards. So for Dennis, there's not really like a downside to to bringing him in and seeing what he gets out of him. Uh, the, the other sort of um, not really elephant in the room, but the other sort of guy that I, I think they're, um, you know, they're really going to go after hard is to try to see if they can keep Aiden Shaw yep. uh, from coming back. So, you know, Aiden Shaw is another guy who seems to fit a lot of what at least, you know, like previously we saw at Florida state and sort of like the way that they approach things when, when Dennis Gates was kind of leading a lot of the uh, the recruiting that was going on there, um, long range of wing and and can can do a lot of things defensively and a little bit of a work in in progress uh, offensively, but but has the tools and 
Um, you know, I, I think if you're like if you're working with two open scholarships uh, and you can keep Aiden Shaw, uh, Christian Jones, you can add at least one more point guard. I would I kind of want to add two. Um, Depends on like, what you feel like you want on uh, as far as scoring punch. But again, I think people need to look at what Florida State's done and what Cleveland State's done. They have they never really had like a primary driver offensively. It's it's very much a bunch of guys. Like Zoe tried to mimic this unsuccessfully. A lot of guys between like <laughs> nine and twelve points a night. And you know, I think that's what Dennis did, you know, at, at some nights at Cleveland State. So, you know, I can see what you're saying, which is hey, let's get two proven ball handlers in here and really shore that up because maybe then we can move Amari back into a role that's more natural. You've got Jerron Coleman who would be back to a straight wing again, and, you know, who might be more effective, you know, in that sort of situation, you know, you'll have Kobe Brown still around, you know, Aiden Shaw can play well on the break. Golson's there. Like you could piece it together. So it really, I think comes down to what you want. To me, it's the last scholarship. Is that a wing or is it a ball handler? Where do you want to go with it? Or is it just best available? And let's just get the talent level up. Yeah, cause, I mean, there are some intriguing wing prospects uh, and guys with some sort of, sort of ties. Um, you know, you want to talk about a few of those, like they've uh, they've shown interest in, in Terrence Shannon. I think Shannon is a lot more likely to land at a place like Kentucky yeah. than he is in or Missouri. Illinois or someplace like that, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Antonio Reeves is somebody who I think is probably still within like, yeah, you probably uh, talk to that guy and, and, and get him on board. I think he's probably got two years to play. Um, like though, I like the, I like Will Richard out of Belmont more than I like Eric Stevenson out of South Carolina. Just Eric Stevenson has been at Wichita state, Washington, South Carolina. The shootings never really come around consistently doesn't really do a lot else besides space the floor out you know to me <laughs> what is it he he's he's a really great free throw shooter he's a great free throw shooter but like will miss what one free throw last year yeah but will richard you know was you know again it's a mid-major guy who's got he's got more length he's a smooth player but he's not like a an, an elite level athlete but you know I, I like richard just a little bit more as being a more well-rounded skill guy and who played a little bit more off the bounce than Stevenson did. And I think that always helps if you've got a guy like that. Um, I, I like Reeves and Richard on the wing for them. Point guard, take your pick. Um, at this point, you know, who knows? Maybe Xavier Pinson comes back and we have a reunion. Do, do you want to talk about it, Xavier Pinson? We talk about uh, uh, Corbello also, like. <laughs> I say we talk about Sean East first because that that <laughs> that that seems like the more natural starting point as far as well. Sh- Sh- Sean East seems to be like right in the wheelhouse. He's a JUCO guy, kind of bounced around. Um, you know, they do have some other offers lined up, but I think you could argue that you know Missouri is probably his best landing spot. I think BYU, um, Cincinnati. I, I'm sorry, like nothing against, um, you know, Mormons in general, but I, I feel, kind of feel like if you're, if you're not Mormon, you have to be kind of half crazy to, to go to BYU. Um, like they have like certain rules. Um, like who was the dude 
that was like all conference. Was it Brandon Davies? Yeah, I think so. Something, something like who uh, got suspended. And, you know, this is we're, we're all adults here. Uh, got suspended for an entire year, was not allowed to play basketball. And I think it was like his senior year uh, because he had premarital sex. Like <laughs> they have. They have some weird rules at BYU. And if you're like, if you're not like, if you're a Mormon or like you're on board with all that kind of stuff, like you want to hold off until marriage, by all means, like I think BYU is like, I think Utah is a beautiful place. I think that uh, that environment for playing uh, college basketball games is, is, is terrific. Um, But man, if, if you like hooking up with girls, like it's probably not the spot for you. (laughs) comes with more attendant risk um but <laughs> as somebody like as i you know vaguely remember my college years um i don't think i don't think a lot of the guys that i played with um would have liked those kinds of rules so uh so what's it usf was the other um cincinnati's in there cincinnati yeah um, the, the thing about east is um I would sell this as a floor play than more than a ceiling play. Um, Sean took a post-grad year after high school. So he was a year old for his, a year older he's than like, most. He's freshmen. like 23 already, right? He'll turn, he's 22 right now. He'll turn 23 in November. And so usually by then any physical development is done. Um, and as a player, you know, I don't want to say a guy ever stops getting better, but like sort of that natural development curve you're on begins to kind of plateau out a little bit. Um, and the other thing is like, we've seen Sean East division one. He played, you know, 50, 60 plus games at UMass where he started his college career and he transferred to Bradley, spent a year at Bradley scored four points against Missouri in that wonderful basketball game. We watched two years ago. Um, and then dropped down to Juco this year. So this will be, his fifth school in five years. He'll be almost 23. You've seen him start 40 division one games where he averaged about nine points per game shot 35 you know, or 40%. The jumpers come around the last couple of years, but like he put up 20 points in Juco and five assists. But part of me is like, are you playing? It's 18, 19 year old kids who, you know, are trying to get to division one and you've, already been there like how much is the stat line padded that doesn't mean that i don't think he couldn't be useful his, his assist to turnover rates been pretty respectable throughout his entire career um i think he's got some crafty scoring ability especially you know kind of you know playing you know against closeouts and can do some crafty things in ball screens um has gotten like i said gotten better shooting always been pretty good shooting off the bounce but he's gotten a little bit better off the catch but I think people are going to look at the stat line and think, oh, we got a 20 points per game scorer. And I would say, you know, maybe if he's optimized, you've got a guy who's giving you 12 to 13 a night. Um, but again, this is a thing where I think if you're looking at this as a nine or 10 man rotation and you want an experienced ball handler who's going to be able to do some things, you know, I think there's some utility there for, for East. I think it's, again, it's a question of what expectations people put on him if you're expecting him to be coming and be a solid, you know, point guard for you, I think that's reasonable. But you know, I'm sort of worried that people are going to look at the ranking and think they've got like a bucket getter 
when they may have a guy who's going to maybe get you 12 points a night and, and dish out three or four assists. There's value in that, but I, you know, I think how is that going to conform to people's expectations of, of what Sean might give them? Yeah, that that's sort of the thing about like when you're recruiting junior college, like you're typically recruiting specific skill sets over like anyone who's going to come in and, and change the program. Even with a guy like Diara, who I think is far more like uh, high ceiling, you know, has been playing as long, he's younger, all that kind of stuff. It 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 fits to a degree of you know like where you're trying to sort of take things. Um, you know, but if you're recruiting guards, uh, you know, most of the time you're like you're not finding, you know, uh Duarte, uh <laughs> who uh you know was borderline all American level first round draft pick out of Oregon. Um, you know, now he's well, he's playing for the Pacers. Yeah. He's in he's in your neck of the woods. Yeah, he is. Um you know, and doing well. So most of the time you're not finding guys like that at at a you know junior college rank. You're you're finding guys that that can kind of help you. And I think that's what Sean East is. He's a guy that can help this team. Um steady ball handler, uh probably a starting point guard. Um you know, if if he if he's starting at point guard next year, I'm feeling a lot better about uh you know Missouri and and its potential to um I don't want to say surprise teams, but maybe just not be terrible. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I do think that the first thing that Missouri really needs to do is shore up the ball handling. And, and it, it seems to me, if you look at like who Dennis Gates has been targeting in the transfer portal uh, and who like, you know, the priority was getting Sean East on campus, you know, like, a week after he's accepted the job and Sean East is on campus. Like that was a priority for them. So you can, you can tell he knows he needs, he needs ball handlers. And um, if Sean East is that guy, great. There are some other, you know, portal guys who I think could help too. So it'll be interesting to sort of see how they kind of go from here and, and who ends up, you know, landing on the roster. Yeah. Um, Now do you want to do the Pinson thing? Now do you... All right, yeah, go give me your give me your your best on Pinson. Same guy he was when he left. Like I think he's a Rorschach test for, you know, how you watch the game of basketball and what you value in a point guard. Um there's no doubt like you watch the TCU game, he could catch a heater. And then a couple games later you have the old miss game where he's just making poor just playing poorly you, out of balls. You have screens. to get him out of the game. Yeah, you like, got to get him out. And we saw that this year, you know, played really well early on in the year. And then, like, down the stretch, Will's yanking him, getting the hook out to get him off stage. And I think that's something you've got to live with. Um, I think – I'm using I think a lot. To me, Pinson's always been kind of the same guy. He's going to, you know, be around 95, you know, in terms of an offensive rating. He's going to need 25. 26, 27%, 28% usage to get there. The rim finishing numbers have never improved. He's never gotten better. You know, he wants to play downhill and get to the rim, but the rim finishing's never come around. And if the whistles aren't going his way, then you're just drowning possessions. And, you know, fans didn't want to believe me that there were stretches where Missouri played better with him off the floor. 
and it wasn't necessarily because I thought other guys were better than Pinson. It was because the possessions were going to other guys. It wasn't right. that Drew Bugs was better than Xavier Pinson. That was never true. But Drew Bugs understood that he could move the ball to, you know, <laughs> Drew to Drew Smith, who could drill a three. It could be hitting the roller with a good pocket pass. It could be finding Kobe Brown cutting if a, if the low defender helped up. It wasn't Drew Bugs being a better player. It was Drew Bugs getting the ball to guys in positions where they were taking better and higher quality shots. Yeah. And so that to me is the difference here. You know, X kind of had to be thrust into this role because Adam Miller was hurt at LSU and then X himself got hurt. But the fundamentals of X's game, you know, the assist rates, the turnover rates, the rim finishing, everything stayed the same. The streaky jump shooting stayed the same. And so you're not going to get a guy who is going to be transformed, I think, by that experience. And this is a guy who didn't handle it well sometimes getting pulled when he was getting, you know, 30% usage. You know, mm-hmm. I, he is what he is. And if you're, if he's comfortable with seeing that usage dip, if he's going to make good decisions playing out of ball screens, then I'm willing to give it a shot. But something tells me that after four years and a lot of a lot of games watching a lot of disc love and sees the same guy and do, do you want to bring that in and you know hope that he's going to find it in one last season I, I think it's highly unlikely and compared to the other options that are in the portal I think there are better guys out there that can give them what they want even if they don't have you know necessarily high major experience so I, I thought this was when I put this in the, the general Slack chat um, for our, our, our group team here. And um, so Xavier Pinson last year had a 26.3% turnover rate uh, per KenPom.com. Uh, at the same time that like people were sort of talking about Pinson putting his little notes on Instagram and, and you know saying he's considering going back to Mizzou and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the news about Andre Corbello came out um, that he was transferring as well, which is not surprising. Um, his turnover rate, Matt, was 26.7%. So technically higher. Boogie Coleman, who I think by all accounts, we all watched him play this year, was a turnover machine. 26.6%. So X was better than Boogie Coleman by just like 0.3%. Uh, for his turnover rate. And I think if like if you're realistically talking about having a better team next year. You gotta value possessions. Right. You have to value possessions. You're not running Boogie Coleman as your point guard. And I don't think bringing in Xavier Pinson helps all that much. With that said, uh, I do think there are worse options than Pinson and and, <laughs> and the portal. And if and if we had to uh, like if if Pinson is on the roster next year, like he it, it'll be fine. If he's, it's a, East, he's a one year rental, yeah. it's a guy who you know will bring you basically replacement level, you know, point guard play, uh, and will not be helped. And then you know he'll have a couple games where you're like, oh man, this guy's awesome, and then he'll be bad other games, and like that's just like that's the uh the the story of 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 Pinson at this point. So. Um, my, so if I were in 
Xavier Pinson's life and giving him advice, I would I would advise him to go someplace else. Like I would say, we don't need to go back there. Like you've done all you needed to do there. I know that there's a new coach. I know there's a small segment of the fan base who seems to think that you're great, whatever. But you don't need to go back there. There are there are a lot of other uh, teams that are interested in your services, and it would make a lot more sense than for him to return, uh, you know, to Columbia. But you know, like it, I will always kind of go back. Like if if he ends up back on the roster, I'll be fine. Like. I've I've watched I watched three years with him to start with, and I watched guys who were worse than than Xavier Penson, you know, through the Commanderson years. So everything we're talking about is, is what it is. Everything we're talking about is an expectations game at this point, like and understanding what guys are and what they aren't, and calibrating sort of what we expect from this team next year. And I get it, you know, fans watched really bad basketball this year, and they want, you know, to have you know that not happen next year. But it's going to be a process here. And and I think after we said Frizzo got fired, you know, what were you using next year in service of? Was it, you know, Zoe trying to, you know, get the car out of the ditch? Or was it a guy coming in and really using it as a way to kind of begin pivoting this roster? Um, You know, to me, Sean East would be the guy that would be your, your floor guy. But there, there are good point guards in here. You know, there's Cam Winter that they've talked to. They've reached out to Dylan Penn. They've reached out to Terry Roberts, Nick Honor, Cam Hayes. There, there are guys in here that they've contacted that I think I like. I like Terry Roberts. Terry Roberts um, is a good point I, guard. I really like Cam Hayes. I like the idea. Uh, like I think if you're kind of going the route of like we're gonna take a guy with some uh, some years to play and 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 a little bit of an upside. Right. I think Cam Hayes makes a lot more sense. Right. And so that that's what I'm looking at is, you know, and that's why I say I would want to take Will Richard on the wing over Eric Stevenson. Guy played well in a good program. And the other reason why I think, and this is wonky, it's a scheme fit thing. Belmont, you know, rel- runs kind of offense that's in the same kind of ballpark as what Dennis ran at Cleveland State. Now this assumes that he's going to, you know, not change his offense under the notion that he'll have better talent so he can run different stuff. But it's, again, it's, are you getting guys with multiple years? Are you getting guys that kind of fit what you want to do? Are you getting guys with different skill sets that you can kind of put together? And realistically, you know, the one thing I came away from talking with some Horizon coaches about was they feel like the thing where Dennis isn't malleable is on the defensive end of the floor. Like he's going to play a switching man. He's going to, you know, throw out matchup zone. They're going to occasionally token press, and they're going to do some things out of that. So they're going to look for guys on the defensive end of the floor that sort of fit that archetype. And, you know, if you can buy in on that end, then I think you're going to be okay. But and that's, so that's why a guy like Cam Hayes, a guy like you know, Christian Jones, or, um, you know, Richard, those are all kind of bigger bodies, longer bodies. They'll sort of fit, and they've got multiple years, and you can sort of put together. And to me, you know, Sean East – and, you know, um, Drake Olston would be, you know, your guys that are there just to backfill and just ensure you've got some guys who've, you know, done the work, they know it's entailed, and they can kind of be that bridge for you as you kind of get ready to pivot it. So that's what I would like to see is maybe them try and get a little bit of one or two guys that maybe have, you know, three years left of eligibility. So the I think the last thing that we haven't really talked about is, like, the assistant coach thing. Um I feel like we've 
put out enough that we have a decent idea of like what uh, Coach Gates is trying to do as far as finishing off his roster. Uh, the fact that he's doing all this kind of without having announced uh, any assistant coaches is kind of impressive. Um, but we like, so uh, Ryan Sharbaugh, right, is a guy who we have uh, detected is on campus with Dennis Gates. So he probably is going to have a role of some kind at Missouri. Um Charbaugh was a guy who was uh, at Cleveland State with uh, with Co- Coach Gates and was at Florida State with him before. Spent some time at Bradley. Basically, the architect of their defense when he was at uh, Gates basically appointed each of his three staffers a responsibility. So Rob Summers oversaw their offense. Charbaugh oversaw defense. Uh, Drew Joyce. Um, who was their third assistant, was their director of recruiting and oversaw what they call special teams, which are after timeout sequences, sideline out-of-bounds plays, uh, baseline out-of-bounds plays, in-game management, like that type of stuff is what is what he oversaw. So it makes sense that Charbaugh's the defensive coordinator, um, spent time as a GA at Florida State, um, sort of knows the system there, and can kind of and can kind of translate some of that stuff here. The interesting thing is going to be what they're going to do recruiting wise. Uh, he having worked at Bradley, there's some Central Illinois connections there as well, so makes sense why he would be on staff. The real question is going to be: um, Do they continue to try and find someone with Chicago connections? Um, you know, I th- feel like it's floated around enough that Jaron's Howard was a guy that they were looking at at Texas, um, but uh, it appears. You know, there's sort of like a weird momentum to this where if you don't get it done in a couple of days, it just isn't going to happen. And, you know, while that Howard rumor was percolating, uh, Jerome Tang at Kansas State struck and yanked Ulrich Maligi um, from Texas's staff where Howard also works. And I don't know if uh, Chris Beard wants to be replacing uh, two-thirds of his staff. Uh, so it seems like that... uh if Howard was going to happen, you would have seen it already. The question is going to be, where do they go? I think there have been some loose chatter of like a Chin Coleman out of uh, Kentucky who's got connections to Chicago. Mm. But we'll see if that materializes. And then I've just wondered, would you call somebody like Nick Irvin, who's on staff at Western Illinois, um, obviously has connections to Mac Irvin Fire in Chicago. Would that be a guy you call and see if you can have a connection that way? Um but we'll see what that does and if there's anything that happens there. And realistically, do they decide they need someone who's got deep local ties? Um, so interesting to see what they do with the other two spots. But I'm not surprised. that well, it- We had heard, uh, like, you know, Chris Carwell's name kind of fluttered out there. That seems a bit of a reach. I mean, I had heard that, like, he and... Um, oh, my God. Just Shire. On, yeah. John Shire. Uh, John Shire, uh, the guy who's taking over over for Coach K. Um, I've heard that like he and Shire aren't like you know the best of buddies, which you kind of see that making sense. I mean, um, Shire came along a little after after Chris, and you know Carowell's a guy who uh, you know did the work and uh, you know had uh, gone with with you know uh, Wojo to Marquette and then came back to Duke and all that kind of stuff. So 
Um, you know, it wouldn't completely surprise me to see Chris move on. Um, you know, once Shire kind of takes over. With that said, would he come back to Missouri? I, I, I would also be surprised to see that. Like the, um, the, I'm sure, I'm sure a guy like you know Chris Carroll could probably take a lot of jobs and. You know, like coming back uh, to to help rebuild Missouri Tigers. I did, I just and there doesn't seem to be like a real direct connection between he and Dennis Gates before. No, and that that's sort of the question. Like, if there's a local guy where there's some overlap, and you'd feel good about doing that. Like, Chris Lowry's available now that Bruce Weber's out of a job. Um, Chris uh, recruited St. Louis for Kansas for Kansas State. Um, was the one who pulled. I think Xavier Sneed out pulled. Davion Bradford out pulled. Luke Basubke out. And so, um, and Sean Williams too. So three or four guys out of uh, St. Louis. Would you, you know, want them at Chris Lowry there? But Chris has always been kind of in that Purdue, um, Gene Cady, Bruce Weber, you know, kind of Southern Illinois circle there. So is is that a guy who's going to want to come work at a place where you know Zoe's been fired? Unclear. Um, you know, I've I've thrown around the name Rod Clark, who uh, has who's Kansas City native, uh, has worked at Sunrise Christian Academy as coach, Mocan Elite, and uh, jumped into the college game at Austin P, um, and then followed Kim English into uh, his vacancy at Knoxville. Um, real close connection, I think, out of the recruitment of Kennedy Chandler. So that's a guy who's got deep connections at one of the best prep programs in the country, one of the best grassroots programs in the country, um, and an actual uh, Missouri native. So is that a guy that you would have tried to like get home? But again, not a lot of overlap there. Wouldn't have moved in the same circles as uh, Dennis Gates. Really just made the jump a couple of years ago. Um, there's some other guys we could toss out. Um, you know, would Jamal Walker be a guy you call back? And I remember when Zoe was hired, that was like a big deal. Of, would Jamal be a guy that you brought in? So that's sort of the well, thing. Is is there a guy is that... Jamal Jamal's still in a like a non coaching role at Illinois? I think so. So like that's the so that's the question. Is like is there a guy that you bring in that you feel good about, or do you just get a coach you feel like you can trust? And, and Dennis has talked about this. What he liked about it at Florida State was that Leonard, you know, empowered him, delegated stuff, gave him latitude to go do things. If Gates wants to be the same kind of coach, does he see a guy that you know, has earned his trust, that has, you know, performed in a way that meets his expectations and say, okay, I want you to go be our guy locally? I could see that. And, there, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. So just interested in terms of how they manage local recruiting and what that looks like a little bit, but um, there's still time, but I, I wouldn't have thought that if Charbaugh was in town and, you know, around and, and stuff that they would have announced that. But again, contracts are contracts. It takes time. We'll see what that looks like, but um, it'd be nice to have one staffer announced at this point, but we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it, it sounds like his, his budget is at least, pretty decent um you know right about in line with what what we sort of thought they were you know probably should have been at already um so i think it was like what matter quoted it being 915,000 yeah for the three slots and i I think that was the one thing that i kept trying to reiterate for years was everyone thought it was 1.1 million for assistance 
It was not. It was for everybody. It was for the whole kit and caboodle. Like, your Dobo, your strength guys, your everyone. So if, so when they were spending 600 or 700, you were still having to pay for three or four staffers out of that. So, yeah, I mean, they, again, I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I vaguely recall when I looked at them over the summer, Missouri was consistently around 11th or 12th, I think in terms of staff pay, like for their assistant coaches, just for, for just the three, assistants. just the three assistant coaches. So, if the, if the staff pool for these guys, for the, these three assistants, is 915, that's right in line with what Florida was paying. It's right in line with what LSU was paying. It's right in line with what Arkansas had been paying. And and that's that's where you need to be if, if you're going to get guys in here to do the job is, you know, your top recruiters. Well, especially if you're talking about, you know, luring coaches away from other, like, sitting, uh, right. you know, power conference assistant jobs. Like, you're not you're not – you're not getting Rod Clark, you know, for off of Tennessee's bench. Yeah. For, for less than what he's making at Tennessee because Tennessee is up their assistant budget. You weren't even, you know, discussing adding somebody like Jarence Howard uh, without at least having, you know, being in the, you know, being able to offer him probably a hundred thousand dollar raise in a, in a title position. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I kept saying like the only way that you're probably getting him to even think about leaving Texas is with, you know, half a million dollars in associate head coach spot. Yeah. Um, you know, like th- these are the kinds of moves that you need to, you know, to be able to make and the, you know, the money being there just provides that flexibility. Yeah. The Jaron Howard would have made two thirds of what the staff made as a whole last year. It, and I think that that's the hard part for folks to understand is everyone would say, Oh, Mike Porter made three twenty five or three seventy or whatever. That's median for the sec. That's median for for a lot of guys. In fact, in some places, that's what the second or third guy is making on your staff. Like, it's where Missouri had gotten in terms of funding that stuff on the back end was not good. Um, Now, you got to try and get guys here. And, you know, if Jarrence is getting, you know, with Ulrich leaving, you know, there's a spot. And, you know, Jarrence can maybe, you know, use this leverage to get some more money out of it. You know, I can't remember what Chin's making, but Chin made like four or four fifty at Illinois. You know, so he's not going to take a unless it's really bad with K. He's not taking a pay cut to come here unless you're giving him a title to go with it and comparable pay. So that's the deal here. Um, but nine fifteen's a good number. Um, it's it's where it probably needs to be, and you know, we'll see moving forward what happens with. Stuff like the Witten family money, if that can, you know, backfill in other ways to free up budget for them to go get guys. But, you know, the contract itself makes sense. It's comp, you know, Dennis's pay is comparable to what everybody else, all the other mid major guys got. His staff budget's comparable to what you probably need in the fifth or sixth spot in the conference. So they've given him, at least at the outset, the, the kind of resources he's going to need to maybe, you know, get this thing turned around, hopefully. Matt, I know you're going to be excited to hear this. Um, Dalen Rignall. I still don't know how to say his last name. Rignall? I think. Yeah. um, Has entered the transfer portal. Huge loss. Was he at Georgia? Yeah. Still remember that. That was one last year where I was like, all right, cool. Cool. We're going (laughs) to... 
that was in the strange period. It was like, why do we need like a weird hybrid three, four guy? They got like Trevin coming in, give that guy minutes. So like Sean McNeil went in the portal and that's a name that, that I, that we, um, you know, remember from a couple of years ago. So it's memories, so many memories of the transfer portal. And I, you know, not to get completely like I'm an old man. Uh, the transfer portal is just out of control. Um, like I have on my tweet deck, just a whole filter. That's just nothing but like portal updates. And that thing just flies during the day. Yeah. Like it's, it's verbal commits. It's, there's a couple other accounts that are like portal at portal updates and, uh, you know, rivals portal and all this kind of stuff. And it is just, it is constant. I, I like, I can't even imagine like, trying to make roster decisions as a, as a head coach in this environment. Granted guys, at the high major level are very well compensated for what they do, but man, like not only like you basically have to just recruit constantly and there's, there's no let up. And then like once the season's over, you're recruiting your whole roster again. Yeah. And then, if you're unhappy with anybody, you just don't recruit them. And then they enter the portal. <laughs> it's just like, it's, I, I am all for it. You know me, I'm all for a player's uh, free will. I think it is, uh, it is a much better system than it was. Um, but man, it is, it is a lot to keep up with. And it is, uh, it is crazy. It, it, it creates a, a wild environment for college basketball well that's that's you know i think we sort of hinted around we've talked about it before that's why i I, i'm intrigued by dennis gates's sort of embrace of the juco market out there because you know you put on some take tape of juco guys and you got to take it with a grain of salt and you're looking for you know skill sets and you know tools that you can plug in but i agree with when i say a lot of these guys are kind of under evaluated and sort of if you've got you know people that are giving you good information and you know, they're giving you stuff that's on point. I think you can really find, do I think it's a, like a way you can build your entire roster? No, but I think if you can be selected the way he was and find three or four guys that, you know, can come in and fit what you want, fit your culture and have, you know, pieces of what you need for your rotation. I think there's a ton of value there and, uh, and we'll just have to see kind of, what happens with this first kind of group of guys, but I'm really intrigued if, if that's how Missouri's found a market inefficiency here, you know, we've talked about that a lot, you know, Missouri's got to find a way to work smarter here. And if going into the Juco market can get you some pieces that other guys aren't seeing, then that that's a win. Um, but yeah, the, the portal right now is, you know, a couple of years ago, Missouri would try and reach out to, I think maybe, eight or nine guys in the portal. Now we're up to like, Dennis has already hit 15 guys in the portal. If you, mm-hmm. if you include Golston in there. So it, it's almost not worth, you know, really getting invested in a guy until you've seen that he's on campus and, or he's at least cut his list down to five outside yeah. of that. It's, it's, you know, just sort of like we're doing, just keeping a running sheet of who they've called and realistically, you know, what positions they're targeting more than anything else than specific players. But yeah, it's, it, it's humming now. Well, I bet we're going to clear 1700 names in it again. 
So uh, this marks the end of our regular season podcasting. Um, we are going to take next week off. And from there, we'll go every couple weeks. And all hell is um, going to break loose while we're away. <laughs> probably. Uh, that's okay. It'll give us a lot to talk about uh, in a couple weeks. Um, so next week, you'll get a new episode of Before the Box Score. Uh, and then in two weeks, we'll be back uh, with more dive cuts. And we'll continue uh, with that until we get closer to the season. Um, so I do just want to take a, a quick minute to say thank you to everybody who listens to this. Um, I know that you know Matt and I have been doing this now for for five years. Um, hard to believe that it's been five years. Uh, and I've been writing about Missouri uh, at Rock Nation now for seven, eight, eight years. Um, but I do appreciate the people that listen to this dumb podcast, listen to us talk about this team and how frustrating it has been to NCAA tournaments the entire time that uh, I've been writing about this team. And even those were, you know, less than stellar entries and quick exits. Um, we are hopeful that, uh, that something can change here in the near future. Um, and we will be along for the ride, right, Matt? Like we're going to stick this out. We're going to, we're going to watch Dennis Gates lead this team all the way to the promised land, right? We'll see. (laughs) Uh, either way, either way, um, there, there is some hope on the horizon that, you know, I do think that anybody who is skeptical about Dennis Gates has certainly come around and they're excited again. Hope springs eternal as it is with any new coaching hire. There's a whole land of possibilities. Um, let's hope that the next couple of weeks go well. And we'll have some good stuff to talk about uh, in two weeks. Uh, until then, make sure that you are subscribed to this year podcast and get all these uh, bright, shining episodes beamed right into your phone. Um if you entered the Rock'em Nation <laughs> bracket contest, I'm sure you beat my bracket. That's uh, a bloodbath for everyone. Do you have any Final Four teams? I don't have any. Oh, no, no. I. Freedom is picking your bracket in two minutes, and I'm really remembering. I don't remember who my Final Four was. I, I used to. I, well, I, yeah, I remember I had Gonzaga winning, and I'm pretty sure I had him. I'm pretty sure I had Arizona Final Four. I think I had Arizona winning. I can't remember who I had. It was. I had somebody beating Kansas in like this either the second or sweet sixteen. Um, that's that was my Mizzou fan pick. Uh, in North Carolina I had probably lose the Baylor. Um, anyway. So uh, yeah, we'll be back in two two weeks. Thanks for everybody for tuning in. Follow Matt, follow me, uh, follow Levi and send him all the thanks in the world for continuing to put up uh, as we are recording late into the night. Levi's going to have to cut this. We appreciate you, Levi. Uh, And so Matt and I will be back in a couple weeks to talk more Mizzou basketball. And until then, thank you for tuning in.